Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, where we share knowledge, philosophies, wisdom, and insight to help you on your journey in both sport and life. Introducing your host, Rob Riles. Hello and welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast. Welcome along. It's Rob Riles welcoming you to another program. Now, today I'm really excited because um, we've actually been able to get our computer systems to work in to work um and i've got from a good few thousand miles away in california if i'm not uh, incorrect somebody that i've been trying to interview for a little while now this gentleman um he is uh, a really highly acclaimed author he he's what i'd call uh, a high level established soccer coach um He's educated to the health in the States, in Europe. Uh, he's um, in California. You know, he's he's been director of coaching in in, in that part of the world for, for many, many years. Um, he's written numerous books which sell in, you know, Asia and, and, and Europe and, and certainly in the United States. Um, he's been in, inducted into multiple halls of fame. And, and you know, I'm sure that's a... He's um, just a perfect guest for, for leader manager coach. So I'd like to introduce you to Carl Dewazian or Coach Carl, as he's often known. So, Carl, welcome to leader manager coach. Thank you so much, Rob. And uh, please don't use the term gentleman anymore because that's one thing I am not. <laughs> oh well, um, thank you for joining us. Um, uh, that was a little introduction from from stuff I've picked up around your your biographies, and you know it it, it makes it makes brilliant reading. Um, you know, just so people know who you are and how you came to kind of you know get into the the passionate work that you do, just tell us a little bit about yourself, so we've got a bit of a backstory. That would really help us to get get things started, Carl. If that's okay. Absolutely okay with me, Rob. And uh, thank you for having me on the program. I'm kind of hoping that uh, maybe my background will help people understand. And the word that you said, passionate, uh, my wife calls me a uh, overworker and seems like that's all I do is try to focus on the children. And the reason behind that is I have to go a little bit back into my own history. Uh, my mother was Polish. She was uh, in uh, three Nazi concentration camps. She was shipped into Germany to work on the farms. My father, Lithuanian, and uh, he was captured by the Russians and then captured by the Nazis. He was thrown into concentration camp, ended up in Germany, obviously met my mom. And uh, I do not remember my childhood. It's a repressed memory. And one of the things that I try to focus on because of that is I would like for children to actually have a childhood. And the way that I got to this point was I thought that I could help out because at one time I was considered what they called a punk. And I'm not too sure if the English know what a punk is, but it's somebody, it's a teenager who's totally lost, has no idea what to do with his life. I uh, ended up being uh, arrested quite a few times. And quite honestly, if it wouldn't have been for sports, I think I would have either ended up in jail or as a very young, uh, dead individual. But fortunately, I had both school teachers as well as coaches who made sure that uh, I went into the right direction. And I can tell you a couple of quick stories. Uh, educationally, if it wouldn't have been for teachers, I would not have stayed in sports. Because, um, and I remember Mr. Russell, my sixth grade teacher, mind you, I was the, uh, uh, I had not played any uh, sports that I was aware of when I was back in uh, Europe. So when I came here to the United States, I went, was introduced to the American sports. Fortunately, I was uh, pretty co coordinated and lived in a small community. And I became sort of like a star athlete within that community. And in the sixth grade, Mr. Russell, who was my coach, uh, also made me the quarterback. And I don't know if you know anything about quarterbacks, but they're the ones that are in charge of the team. I mean, they run everything. And we played flag football. And our football team was number one. And we were playing for the championship. 
And Mr. Russell told me that uh, you've got to finish your homework. And knowing me, I figured, you know, since I was a star quarterback, I didn't have to finish my homework and I would still, you know, get to start. And sure enough, the championship game, and I still remember this, mind you, this is over 60 years ago. He did not put me in the game because I didn't finish my homework that day. The end result was we lost the championship. And can you imagine a teenager having all his peers uh, sort of look at him as a, uh, you know, a real punk who just didn't uh, fulfill the team's needs, no teamwork involved. And so educationally, I decided uh, maybe what I should do is become a good teacher, which I did for about two and a half years. But then I found out that uh, in at the classroom, children are little, literally forced to be with you, right? The law says that mm-hmm. children have to be going to school from here in the United States, from kindergarten all the way through high school. You have to attend classes. So I was a fifth grade teacher. My first year of teaching, and I'm sure you won't believe this, but my very first year, I had 42 students in my classroom. One teacher, 42 students. Um, Obviously, not all of them liked me because they were forced to be with me. Some were neutral about me and others liked me. And I figured out that as a teacher, you could only reach students that liked you, no matter how hard you worked. And so what I did is I found or I, I figured out that in sports, it was a little bit different because in sports, the child comes to you. They come with an interest and you can influence them. Like I just told you with Mr. Russell, he influenced me to finish my homework. So I literally ended up going to college and a place called Fresno Pacific. And there's where I started this thing called, you you guys call it football and we call it soccer here. Yeah. I don't know if you want to know the story behind how I got into college. Listen, um, you, your, 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 what you've just said already is littered with life lessons. You know, the adversity that you suffered as a child, um, never mind your parents. Uh, wow. You know, um, then that amazing, uh, the thing about sport, particularly with young men, Carl, you know, that we could go across football or or or, or adolescence in, in the UK. And I was one of those that if it wasn't for sport, I have no idea where I would be now because that was the only thing called that gave me a purpose, made me feel good and gave me an identity that had a sort of positive self-image attached to it. Everything else just was, I don't know, um, but, but there are so many young men who who will resonate with with what you're saying there. And then the last thing is that beautiful lesson from your courageous Mr. Russell, who actually was prepared to do the right thing. And that's a personal point of view. Uh, allow the consequences to be the consequences. The team didn't win the championship because you weren't warranted a place because you hadn't fulfilled the criteria. And he's prepared to do that, you know. I mean, there's lessons in there that are already just amazing. So, yeah, please carry on with the next bit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right. You're going to love this story about how I ended up in college. One of my friends, uh, and I played all of the American sports. So it was football, baseball, basketball. I ran a little bit of track. And in football, I did all of the kicking. So we did field goals. But in those days, we kicked the ball with our toes for accuracy. That obviously changed over time when they found that, you know, the soccer style of kicking was a little bit more efficient and you could kick for longer distances. So uh, I was trying to get uh, into the service because I wanted to um, be a soldier and fight for the USA in Vietnam. And a friend of mine who eventually became a uh, superior court judge for the state of California, he drove me to all of the different uh, places in Fresno to try to join the service. It wasn't even a holiday to show you how my life has worked out with uh, all of these coincidences, but none of the services were open. And so I drove home, 
one of my friends, Jim Farmer, was sitting at the house at my parents' house. And he says, well, why don't you come and join me at Fresno Pacific? Never heard of the school to begin with. And uh, Jim was the fastest Caucasian in the United States at the time. And so to go back again and using sports as a way to get into the door, uh, Jim said, I'll get you a scholarship to Fresno Pacific. And I said, well, you know, if I can't join the service, I'd be more than happy to go to college because I know in Fresno, it's a big town. They have lots of girls. I can go dancing and I'll do all the other things that semi-punks did in those days. (laughs) So now he set it up for me to go to the athletic director. Uh, Gary Noctegall. Gary Noctegall sat me down. He's a very nice uh, Mennonite individual. And he says, well, love to get you into school and let's see uh, what sport we can get you into. And it would be a a scholarship of work study plus athletics. So uh, he said, well, we don't have football because our school is only 300 students. Uh, We don't play basketball. You look like you're too short. Uh, track. I know that Jim told us that you don't like to run. And so he went on and on. And finally, he mentioned a word called, and I'd never heard this word before. He said soccer. And I go, soccer? What is that? He handed me a book and a leather ball. I'm sure you remember those. And so I said, you know, being one of these individuals that if I have a goal, I'm going to reach it. So I take the book, I take the ball, go home. And this goes back to my little town in Lemoore. I go home and I read the first chapter and they were juggling, talking about juggling, you know, keeping the ball up Mm, without touching with your hands. So the only place that I could figure out to juggle is in my bedroom because it was too early in the morning. The sun wasn't rising yet. So in my bedroom, the lights are on. I start, I try to juggle one, two, and it hits the light post and then just flying all over the place. But I had a goal of always reaching one more juggle than the previous day. So I was at three when my mother walked in, and this is about a week later, and she says, no more of kicking this ball around your bedroom. Get out of here. (laughs) So I figured I have nowhere else to go except for my dad's ranch. And my dad did turkeys that day. Not that day, but he did turkeys for a lifetime. And... So I take the ball to the turkey ranch. Now, mind you, I was up to about four juggles at that time. Right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. And then it would drop in the bedroom. I take it out. And the very first day, I mean, it was like a miracle. I juggled the ball and it would not drop. And I must have had maybe around 100 or or thereabouts. Mm -hmm. And I was so thrilled when the ball dropped. I just yelled out this huge scream that said, yes. 75,000 turkeys gobbled back at me. And I figured now this is the biggest audience I've ever been able to perform in front of. And this is going to be my sport. That's how I ended up at Fresno Pacific College as a coach, as a player. Beautiful story. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, I'm sure there's one or two players who started juggling the ball, but um, not from being given a book and being sent away and never heard of it. So again, Carl, it's it's a great, a great introduction. So look, I, I want to take you, I mean, I've had the fortune of, of not reading all your books at all, but um, looking through what I've seen and um, how... You were obviously a player that, 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 you know, I've noticed. And one of the great things that somebody said about you is that you were a leader before you were a coach. You, you were, you were, I don't know, um, you were so trusted that you were actually named head coach of the team prior to, you know, being the coach because that was your nature. So have you always had that leadership element to your character? You know, I honestly can't say yes or no, because like I said, when I was in elementary school, I was in charge of all of the teams. I was the quarterback in football. I was the guard in basketball. I pitched and catched in baseball. So again, through sports, it probably gave me the confidence to be able to perform in front of people. And that led to later on going into college. And this is how I became a coach because you mentioned, and I'm glad you read my history, that you mentioned me becoming a player coach. There's another quick story yeah. behind that one as usual. Yeah. And that this is what happened is our school had about 300 uh, players, uh, 300 students. 
Uh, we were lucky to have an 11 players to even start a soccer team. And yet we played against teams like UCLA, San Francisco University. These were all um, colleges that had international ball players. And one of our goals, honestly, was to get the ball over the halfway line. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that would tell you how much of a background, you know, I had in <laughs> soccer. Here I'm uh, juggling in front of turkeys. Our goal was to get yeah. the ball across the halfway line. And we actually had our cheerleaders, if we got the ball across the halfway in line, including the goalkeeper's kick, if it went across, the cheerleaders cheered and everybody figured what the heck is going on. Anyway, yeah. my junior year, we were getting clobbered every year. My junior year, we had decided if we're going to play, at least we'll, let's be competitive. So we decided to all get physically fit for the next season. Got together preseason, sat in a room. Gary Noctegall comes walking in, our athletic director, and he says, sorry, boys, but no soccer this year. And we said, well, wait a second. We just finished spending two and a half months training to get mm -hmm. into shape. You can't let us down. So he said, the coach isn't coming back. And I swear to you, this is the honest to God, true story. The coach had gone to Montana and he was lassoing chairs, stationary chairs. And he was getting so good at it that he decided that he was going to join the rodeo. And that's why he didn't come back to become the coach that following year. So Gary Noctegall says to us, season's over and we said that's not right we need to play because we've given we mm. given all this time to get ready and he said well what do you suggest we said well how about and he goes i know how about the oldest guy in here becomes the coach well the oldest guy happened to be uh gonna forget his name right now but he goes you know i can't be the coach because i just finished getting um Asking one of the girls here on campus to get married, she said yes. And so, you know, I'm in the process of doing that. I was the second oldest guy in the, in the room. So now I became player coach. Okay. <laughs> Try being a player coach for two years with only two and a half, about a year and a half of background in soccer. But I do have to go oh, back. I must have played as a child because the game came back to me so quickly. That by my junior year, I became, um, they called it uh, local All-Americans and all kinds of other. So I received a lot of um, titles just from scoring goals, that type of thing. So it must have been part of my background that I played in Germany, but I don't remember not even one moment of doing that. Wow. Uh, so now I'm a player coach. They decided I don't know how to coach, so they sent me to uh, Stanford where a uh, individual from Germany by the name of Detmar Kramer did the coaching course. Now, Detmar was German, and he didn't know the slang terms that we have here in the United States. Mm. So as, he, as he's running the course, he needed somebody to help him interpret some of these slang terms, since I know really? German. And there you go, really? another situation, right place at the right time. And uh, now I became almost like a national staff coach after three and a half years in the sport. Really? Well, that's, um, that's, well, that's how Jose Mourinho got going, isn't it? That, do you uh, know the story, yeah? yeah? I do not. Well, Jose Mourinho and Sir Bobby Robson went over from England to um, Barcelona to become the Barcelona coach. They needed um, an interpreter. and. Um, Jose Mourinho uh, was the interpreter and he was allowed into Bobby Robson's every meeting, all the private meetings, because Bobby couldn't speak a word of Spanish. And um, that's where he picked up all his knowledge and went on to become, obviously, the, the great coach that he is. So you have another parallel there, but I do love the story. Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, I'm also humbled, Carl, by the fact that you can't remember your childhood and you know because of that so what if I, if somebody said to you what's your earliest memory do you know that have you have you done all that you know a thought about what's the first thing you can remember then from, you know from your young years or you know this is going to be i'm not too sure if you're going to believe me but my earliest memory is we're 
my parents had tried for the United States to come here 13 times. And they always tried it on the German quota because they had a certain number of people that were allowed to enter the country each year. And mm -hmm. so 13 years they tried. They tried to go to Australia. They come, tried to come to the United States. The 14th time, my dad went on the Lithuanian quota. And there's not that many people, obviously, that are in Germany from Lithuania trying to get out of the country. So we were able to make it at the 14th try. And my first memory to remember is we're on board a battleship being shipped from Germany to New York. As I'm stepping up, I see my dad at the rail of the ship. And he has tears coming down his eyes. And I couldn't figure it out because my dad, he was a tough character. I couldn't figure out why he was crying. And right behind him, and again, it's a, something I'll forget for a lifetime, was the Statue of Liberty. And that's the first remembrance that I have of my childhood, is coming into New York City with my dad crying and the Statue of Liberty behind wow. him. How old were you then, Carl? 11 years old. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. Just unbelievable. Just un a podcast there on its own, but um, just unbelievable. So, okay, let's move on. So, so here you are uh, now coaching because the, the guy's come in and told you there's no coach, so you've taken the mantle on and you've, 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 you know, you've gone on to coach and you've started that. Um, where do you go from there? What 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 took you to from there to, to becoming somebody who thought because you don't just write books, Carl. If there's, look, there's there's many many coaches out there, and I think everybody's got a book in them, but there's only a few who ever write them. And you haven't just written one; you've written numerous. And and you know you've got a certain thing about you. Some of the things you write about how you so relate to relationships with coaches and between coaches and players, and something else I wrote down is. Um, you know, the psychology and the communication and the buzzwords that you've already talked about just as well. Um, how did you get from just becoming this coach where it was forced upon you to get into the stage where you, you know, wanted to educate people beyond those that you were just coaching via books and so on? Oh, boy. Here we go with another story. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Come on. Bring it on. All right. So, uh, I'm a player coach at the college. I'm recruited to become a elementary school teacher in fifth grade. I last two and a half years because I focus on the children rather on the statistics. And so the school district decided not to rehire my contract. So now I'm without a job and I go back to the college and I ask them for a $1 raise in my salary as a coach, they don't have the extra dollar and I'm without work. So now the local soccer community, they wanted to put on a coaching course. And as things would happen again, we're running the coaching course and there's indoor and outdoor and we run it at Fresno Pacific where I was just released as the coach, but they gave me the facilities. and. We have nothing but foreigners as our instructors. I had just finished doing the course with Detmar Kramer, so I've got all this background of what they call the C license. So I have all this information. Mm. We go to Pacific College to run the course, and wouldn't you know, it starts to rain. And this is in the middle of July, where it never rains in California, but it starts to rain. We have to go and finish the course in the classroom. Well, the other foreigners can't speak very well and they don't have enough of background or information. So the, the people decided that I'm going to run the rest of the lectures, right. which is about four and a half hours of speaking to a group of 70 individuals, all strangers, regurgitating information that I just received in Stanford. One of the people inside of that particular class, she thought that I was brilliant. So she said, why can't you create yourself a job? I'm thinking, well, I need a job because no more teaching, no more coaching. Please help me. She comes back and she finds 
the Pepsi Cola company, the local Pepsi Cola company, to sponsor me to go to elementary schools and put on um, what do they call those uh, sessions? I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, I go to seven in seven in seven months. I saw eighty four thousand children throughout the Central Valley. I went wow. to every elementary school in the Valley in order to um, put on school assemblies. That's what I was trying to think of, school assemblies. Mm-hmm. So I went from elementary school to elementary school to elementary school. I put on a juggling session, which I was good at now. I put on the beginning of the Pepsi movie with Pelé. And so now I try to juggle you know, the oranges. And then I had yeah. teachers coming up and students coming up. The sales of Pepsi-Cola in the Valley increased by 10%. Wow. So now, and Coca-Cola was the big company of sales, and now Pepsi's starting to take over, and they figured that it was because of the soccer movement started by somebody who's going to elementary schools. And we had what we call soft sale. In other words, we had a Pepsi sign on here. Everything that I carried had a Pepsi logo. We were the first commercial. Um, companies to be able to get into elementary schools with this program. So now New York finds out about the Pepsi sales in California. They fly all the way, their people fly from New York to a small town, the town called Merced here in California, where the headquarters for Pepsi was for the Valley. We meet and they said, you know, this is a program that should go national. And I'm thinking, all right, we're all set now. Two months later, New York writes back and they said, we're sorry, but uh, we can't go national with your program because we just hired some guy out of Brazil who's going to become our spokesperson. Pelé actually took my place and we never went national with the Pepsi-Cola program. Wow. Wow. Um, that, well, I don't know what to say about that, apart from the fact that it's not bad to be, to have a Pele as a person who kind of gets in your place, but it must've been a bit painful as well. Yeah. Actually, it wasn't because what happened is that California youth soccer saw what was happening with the increase of players here in their program here in the Valley. And they said, well, who's doing it? And they said, well, there's some guy who's working for Pepsi-Cola juggling the ball. Maybe we can have him, you know, promote the sport around the state. So now we had four different meetings with the people of California Youth Soccer, four different meetings. The reason for four meetings is the first time that we met, can't hire this guy. Why not? Well, because I wanted the six-year-old who's coming into the program being treated just as well as the 18-year-old coming out. I figured if we have a good foundation, we'll have a good end result, a good mm-hmm. building, good structure. Mm-hmm. Well, they wanted competition. They wanted to beat you know, all the other states around here. So can have this guy come in here. Well, tried another meeting. Well, no, the guy didn't change his mind. He still wants the kids to be treated at the younger ages mm-hmm. as well as the older ones. After the fourth time, they decided, you know, this guy's not going to change his mind. He's going to work on what he's going to work on. And that's when I was hired by CYSA California Soccer. But I have to continue this story because one of the deals is I made a contract. It was a handshake contract of whatever money I made through coaching courses and uh, camps, I would keep. After three years, they found that I was making so much money that they did something to me that I regretted agreeing to, but they put me on salary. The salary was so much less than what I was making, but I figured, you know what, I'm reaching the kids, I'm making a difference, so uh, I'll accept the salary and we'll take it from there. Wow. What a great story about, yeah, right place, right time, right skill set, but you know, um principles as well I, I love that about your persistence and determination to stick to what you believed in and uh, that they caved in and 
you know, you did what you did. Um, wow. Um, just amazing. So what was it, what was your first book that you wrote? What was the first thing that you put down to, to, you know, to, to get into that phase of your life? So <laughs> gosh, I'm more, more stories here. The lady who got me hired at Pepsi Cola, she goes, you know, when you leave, uh, the people forget what you've told them. So we need mm -hmm. to put something down in writing. And we decided to start putting together little pamphlets. But the pamphlets were all written out, you know, it was just printed material. And we decided that people that are reading it may not have the background to understand what the message that we're trying to get across. And it might be, you know, in terminologies that they don't understand. So we decided to, why not uh, include some illustrations? My wife happened to be a good artist, which she still is, by the way. And she was drawing this little character. It was called Fred Feathers. It was a chicken. And so what we did is we had Fred Feathers became the coach. And his team was called the Thunder Chickens. So Fred Feathers and the Thunder Chickens were put into these manuals. The manuals eventually were picked up by Pepsi-Cola, who made small, larger manuals that eventually ended up in a book. When I became the director of coaching for California, we had 14 state associations get together. And they said, well, we don't have any manuals. So I presented to them the book with the chickens inside. Okay, well, the coaches, you know, from the other state associations are going, we can't relate to a chicken outfit. So what we're going to do is can you put the illustrations a little bit more, you know, that are going to be acceptable to everybody. And that's when I had the local president of the Fresno Junior Soccer League who hired me to do the coaching course. Yeah. He ended up being my illustrator. His name is Joe Garcia. He's uh, pretty famous around this around the valley, and uh, we ended up putting the children in there, and uh, the rest is history. You know, we wrote eight books together, and uh, they've been translated into Spanish, Chinese, and Japanese, and obviously in English also. Plus, one that I'm really proud of is we also I had the privilege of working with Peggy Neeson who was in charge of what they call the TOPS program, which is for special needs children. And we put together a uh, manual, and it's quite a nice manual called Miles and Miles of Soccer Smiles. And I think that that's the one that I'm proudest of. But the wow. very first one, yeah, the very first one was Fundamental Soccer Practice. Yeah. And it had actual kids in it instead of chickens. Just amazing. Just an amazing story. Do you, do you feel that your, it's like a life's work really is because of your going back to what we said at the start call, because of your own childhood or lack of remembering of your own childhood and possible thoughts around that. Is that what, what's driven all this? Do you think? Uh, it's, that's been my drive. I want to make sure that children actually get one childhood that I didn't have. And I figure if we can't reach them, you know, through all of the other means, if they come to us with an interest, in this case, it happens to be the sport of soccer. Maybe what we can do is reach the adult to make sure that they can reach and teach the children and then, you know, do the life lessons through the sport. So, OK, wonderful stuff. Wonderful. What is it? You, what do you spend your time doing now? Uh, you know, what's your what's your week look like now or your month or your day? What, what kind of things are you doing now specifically? The biggest thing that I'm doing now is uh, writing articles. And uh, I'm finding that the articles that I wrote 20, 30, 40 years ago still apply today. And the reason is that children don't change. The sport might get quicker and, you know, we might use all of these fancy uh, computers and generated, um, you know, psychological mm, things. And things yeah, but yeah. children don't change. And children, they have to learn to crawl before they can stand up. And then they stand up and they walk and then they jog and then they run. And I think um, what I try to focus on is try to teach the adults how to reach the children. And that would be through, you know, demonstrations, explanations, those type of things. 
But the biggest thing is, and I think it's one of the hangups I have, is we try to teach children the sport of soccer through other related games. And to right, me, that right. doesn't make any sense. You know, we teach them like, uh, I don't know if you play Simon Says and Sharks and Minnows and, um, mm -hmm. you know, Space Invaders and all those things. I know that, that they're eye-foot coordination games, but it doesn't teach a child that we attack a goal and we defend a goal. Mm -hmm. And to me, you know, that's been the most difficult thing to, uh, to get across when I try to reach adults because they want to make sure that the children have fun. Well, I'm thinking, why don't they have fun playing soccer instead of all these other soccer-related games? So the biggest thing that I'm trying to do lately is not just myself, but I get other individuals to write for me. And I've been very fortunate to have a great group of people, psychologists, sports psychologists, child psychologists, uh, mom and dad coaches who write articles mm -hmm. for me. And hopefully what we do is get the message across. Children around the world, they have fun playing soccer, 1v1 games, small-sided games. They play in the streets mm -hmm. and everywhere else. Unfortunately, here in the United States, we only play it as an organized sport where the adults organize it, the child has to show up, the parent drives into the facility. They carry, the parent carries the balls. The parent, uh, you know, hands them over to an adult. The adult starts telling them what to do. And the kids don't have any imagination or leadership being built into them because of our over-organization. This is what I was coming on to. Does that drive you mad? Uh, actually not, because if everybody would have listened to me 30 years ago, uh, I wouldn't be here trying to get a message across to them. So, no, it doesn't drive me mad. But I do hope, I do hope that eventually, as a matter of fact, Rob, uh, let me give you another quick story. In 1980, yeah. I wrote Modified Laws of the Game. Yeah. Uh, myself and Bill, uh, Jim Thompson out of Canada, we looked at what was going on because we had six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10-year-old children playing on adult fields, 110 yards long with eight, yeah. foot, eight foot by eight yard goals. And we're going, this is, this is insanity. The kids can't even go from one end of the field to the other end. Let's shrink this down, make the equipment, you know, um, mm. conducive to the child, mm. the goals four feet high. Uh, uh, well, mm. make smaller goals, smaller balls, yeah. and less players out on the field. That was written in 1980. Wow. I copyrighted, you know, and did all the things to it that you need to do. 2017, 2017, the U.S. Soccer Federation started the mandate that all children, U6, U8s, U10s, play small-sided games. <laughs> 35 years for the Federation to catch on to something that was introduced all those years ago. So my thinking is, even though they're practicing all these funny games, in another 35 years, the kids that are being, organi that are being organized mm -hmm. by adults are going to play small-sided games, just like the kids in Africa who are now becoming the best players in the world are playing in their areas, mm -hmm. right? They don't play organized ball. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you talk so eloquently about the game in your country and your area of the world um you know when when you listen to ex-professionals people who established and played 10 years ago 20 years ago 30 years ago they will talk to you about going out um, on their own with their mates um because of the social structures they lived in into the streets playing with any ball they could get hold of 20 aside, 15 aside, whoever would play uh, chalk drawings on a wall for the gold, you know, coats for the gold post, no parents, no adults, street football, to such an extent that a lot of the professional clubs in this country have established in their academies um, street football environments like cages and, and, and little rooms and, and buildings where players, the young players can just go and play and set up themselves because the things you're alluding to, Carl, that development of leadership, that that camaraderie, that growth of 
personal and, and, and those social structures that naturally develop when young people play together without structure um, that develops things that, that we love so much about great players, you know, um, uh, that, that if you have completely organized games with adults organizing it and a limited number of touches and it's clean, it's, it's vanilla as we call it. And and it's not, there's no leadership, there's no excitement. It's just a a very structured environment. There's so much missing from that, isn't there? If, if we, if that's all we do. I'm not sure what your statistics are, but here in the United States, children, we, we may have millions and millions at the U6s. By the time they get reach the age of 10 to 14, 75% of the children quit. And I don't mean just quit soccer, but all sports. And right. if you get right down to it, where do the best players come from in almost all sports? It's the kids that aren't being organized who come up with a unique way of doing the sport just a little bit different. Right. There's no one way of hitting a tennis ball or throwing a basketball or kicking a soccer ball. We all have our unique ways. And unless I think unless the child gets the opportunity to practice and experiment and fail their way to success, all you're going to get are little robots running around. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I am working on diligently right now is you asked me about trying to work is I'm trying to figure out ways of getting what uh, Germany just did. Uh, I don't remember. I think Holland also has it, but they build soccer fields or mini fields on the basketball courts and other places where the child can walk to the court, to the field and start playing. Here in the United States right now, we've got huge complexes that the parents have to drive the child to. The coach organizes everything. They lay out on the cones and everything. And I try to get the coaches to teach the children to lay out their own environment. You know, do it like in the old days, as you said, draw something on a wall. Well, we don't have walls in California. We only have grass. So now we lay down cones or jackets or whatever to make our goals. And from there, the child hopefully will learn to become a leader, to lay out their own environment and start playing because they have Plenty of time, don't they? I mean, nowadays, if you take a look at how much they can play behind the computer, why can't they take that exact amount of time and do it outside and, you know, working on eye-foot coordination? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's amazing. And it's really good to get an insight from um, your country and your environments and the challenges that exist. because definitely in the UK, we've been through a phase where coaching became so structured, so educated, um, that all the things you've talked about, Carl, players, young players got bored because they were being taught at, taught to, and were so restricted and structured that, that by the time they got to 15 years of age, they'd had enough of it. They didn't want to play anymore, you know, because... Uh, it was stand stand around, get told what to do. Now, you know, there's been a massive drive over the last few years to get the ball moving a lot and get youngsters making decisions again. And yes, although the socioeconomic thing has changed where there aren't hundreds of kids playing in the street now like there were, you know, uh, pre-war, after the war, um, you know, because the life's changed. We, we've tried very much as a nation to, uh, and, it, and, it, and I suppose it's not just UK, it's the other countries as well, to actually develop the things that you're talking about that you've kind of known. It's almost like you've known these things internally um, all the time kind of thing. You've kind of had that in your head all the time um, and known that and, um it's almost like you've had a lifelong, you know, uh, not struggle, but that's been your your mission to bring that to the fore because you recognize how how powerful it is. Don't know what to say after that because I don't think I have all the answers. Um, 
about the only thing that I do have is a passion to see children being active. You know, it, I honestly don't care if they don't just play soccer. I'd like for them to go outside yeah. and do something yeah. because here, and I don't know how it is in your country, but here in the United States, we've got, it's called child obesity. Children yeah. that are overweight. Well, why are they overweight? Well, look at the fast food that they eat. Parents don't watch their diet. You know, anything that we can do to make sure that the kid feels happy, we do for them. Well, the mm -hmm. kids should be happy going outside, eating good food and, you know, sleeping well and doing all the things we used to do. As a matter of fact, the parents should be yelling at the kids to come home instead of having the kid at home all the time telling them to go out. That, that's 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 right because uh, when you listen to the old older players who tell you that um, that if they weren't you know they didn't go in until the light went until it the light there was no more light to play so it went dark and um the number of times they got told off because they were in later than they should be so you've hit the nail on the head and uh, they hated being in the house i mean i just interviewed a, uh, an ex-pro the other day and um he said you know he can't remember being in the house. He, he, his whole life was in the street, you know, kind of thing, and in the fields, you know. So, Carl, it, it, absolutely right. Absolutely right. So, you know, moving on, what's left for you, mate? What, what's left for, for somebody who's, you know, done, done so much, really, for, for young people? Um, what's left? What's left? It would be... Uh... You know, as a matter of fact, it happened to me yesterday. Right. Yesterday, I took my granddaughter out to uh, the local school and mm. up against the fence, they had an adult goal and two different sizes children goals. And what's next for me is I would like to see every elementary school in the United States of America have that kind of a setup where you can see adult goals and children's goal at every school, elementary schools especially, and taking down the wires that prevent the kids from going onto the campus after school hours. Yeah, yeah. You know, in our case, you have to have permission, you have to have a, a, a license, yeah. you have to... And if somebody gets injured, they get, you know, I'd like to oh, go back to the old days where kids just get together into their, on the playgrounds without supervision. Let them get yeah, hurt yeah. a little bit, you know, experience life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Okay. Here, here's a couple of things for you. To all the coaches that are listening to you, all the coaches that are listening to this, what would you, if you could give them one or two, just can just be one, one thing that you think was the, one of the most valuable lessons for coaches that you've learned in your life, what would it be, Carl? I think it would go back to uh, what Mr. Russell did. You know, it's, and, and it goes back to the motto that I've used for all these years now. And my motto is, uh, and every uh, lecture, every session with this, the outcome of our children is infinitely more important than the outcome of any game that they'll ever play. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the result, is it? it it's, it's not the result of the game. Have you won? You know, I totally agree. People say to me sometimes, how did you get on? Like, what was the score? And I say, well, I don't, I'm not really bothered about the score. What you want to know is, was it a good game? Did they play well? Did they enjoy it? What was positive? You know, so it's not about the result. I think that's what you're saying. It's, it, it, isn't it? It's that, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. If we can get that across to coaches, you know, let's look at the development of the child to become an adult. Yeah. I mean, like here in the United States right now, I know that there's, I don't know if it's the same in the UK, but we've got a huge crisis of teenagers committing suicide. Yeah, if same. you're part of a team or if, you know, just having people around them, maybe we can prevent some of these things. And I think through sports, you might be able to do that. And again, it doesn't have to be soccer. It could be yeah. any sport, but, you know, surround yourself with more people because it's not, you can't do it by yourself. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. That's for sure. Okay. So there's the, an, you know, a fantastic thing for, for coaches to grab hold of. So any young players out there, Carl, that are listening to this who 
enjoy soccer and or uh, you know I've got I've got uh, maybe that maybe that they're looking to get into a team and maybe as a, as a youngster like many of us um it was our, it's our dream to be good enough to to, to play professional um no matter what stage you're at so what would you say to a young player if you could say to say to them one thing what would you say get educated go to school the better grades that you have they'll last for a lifetime athletics all you need to do is take a look at how long do most of the pros last you've got a few you know they'll be around for 10 years at the most but your mm -hmm. average professional ball player will have maybe three years make all kinds yeah. of money but aren't smart enough to spend it rightly or save it for the future. And look what happens to them. I, my preference is get a good education, use the sport as a vehicle to get that education, and then uh, let your life fall into place like mine did. And it's been wonderful, by the way. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Carl, um, it's got an hour's gone already. Uh, oh, and no. it's been absolutely amazing. Um, look, um, I could listen to you all day and, and, and I can just tell that you've probably got more stories about the things that um, have gone on that we could share. But, um, you know, I think it's brought it to a lovely point as well. Um, look, if anybody wants to find out about your work, Carl, and what you've done, um, what's the best place to um, for them to go for that? Probably the best place is the website, and that's three W's fundamentalsoccer.com and uh, one of the things that I put on there is if they have any questions I love answering questions and uh, hopefully Rob next time you'll ask me some questions about soccer and how to train kids instead of about me and my life <laughs> yeah maybe we should do a part two yeah now um, now now we've, we've got um, we've got the handle on you but um, no, no I think we've actually brought out loads of loads of principles your story is told, told loads of principles, Carl. Um, it's littered with them. The whole thing is littered with them. So, um, yeah, maybe we can do a more technical one at another time. But um, I just want to thank you for, for your time. Um, I thank you for your patience for, for dealing with the um, issues we had last time. Um, but we got there in the end. But thank you very much, Carl. And it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you, my friend. Rob, I thank you too. And uh, like I said, I... I finish everything with the outcome of our children is infinitely more important than the outcome of any game that they'll ever play. Thank you and allow the children to at least have one childhood. Take care, mate. Bye-bye. You too, Rob. Thank you.